22. Old Rooster. Very strong and tough. Could there be food less palatable than a lean old rooster of Indian breeding? The broth is worse than that made from a billy goat. I went to the meeting, and all listened silently while my letters from the government were read. Anything coming from Mexico impresses these people deeply. Yet with the suspicion innate in their nature, the Indians could not hear the documents read over often enough. We had meeting after meeting, as the arrival in the Pueblo of every man of any importance was a signal that my papers would have to be read over again. The alcalde introduced me to the teacher's wife, a Mexican, who apparently took her a lot very contentedly among these people whom no one ever knows. As she expressed it, she liked the climate, and the security of life and property. Her husband had been working here for four years. The children, of course, had first to learn Spanish, and there is no school from June till September. The youngsters seemed bright and well behaved, but the chorus told me that they had not yet learned to read. Most of the Coro Indians are slightly bearded, especially on the chin, in this respect. However, there was no uniformity, some being absolutely beardless, while others looked rather Mexican. They all insisted, nevertheless, that there is among them no intermixture with Mexicans, or, for that matter, with the Tepehuans, and the Coro women had very strong objections to unions with neighbors. On the other hand, It should be remembered that during the latter half of the last century the tribe was subjected to a great deal of disturbance. Incidental to the revolution of Manuel Lozada, a civilized Aztec from the neighborhood of Tepic, who, about the time of the French intervention, established an independent state comprising the present territory of Tepic and the Cora country. He had great military talent, and it was said that whenever he liked he could gather thousands of soldiers without cost. He was able to maintain his government for a number of years, thanks chiefly to the Coras, who were his principal supporters. At one time they had to leave their country, and to live for five years in an inaccessible part of the Sierra Madre above San Buena. Among themselves, the Coras use their own language, but all the men and most of the women speak and understand Spanish to some extent. Though the people now dress like the neighbors, they are still thoroughly Indian, and proud of it. There are about 2.500 purebred among them. They call themselves Nayarity or Nayari, and in speech, religion, and customs they are akin to the Waikal Indians, who, however, do not care very much for their relatives, whom they call Hashi Crocodiles. Yet some intercourse is maintained between the two tribes, the core is bringing to the Waikal's red face paint, wax, and the tail feathers of the blue jay. While the services of the Waikal curing shamans are highly appreciated by the cores, an interesting home industry is the weaving of bags or pouches of cotton and wool. In many beautiful designs, the cores are not good runners, they have neither speed nor endurance, and they run heavily. It is astonishing how small the bones of their limbs are, especially among the females. Though this, by the way, is the case with all the Indians I had visited. A Cora woman made for me a shirt as an ethnological specimen which I thought she must have made too small at the wristbands, as they measured about 4 3 4 inches barely 12 centimeters, but she showed me how well they fitted her. Still they always have well-developed hips and better figures than the Mexican women. The teeth of the cores are not always perfect, I have seen several individuals whose front teeth were missing. Strange to say, in spite of the high elevation, there is fever and ague here, the alcalde told me that he had an attack every second day. As Easter was at hand, there was quite a concourse of people, nearly 300 Indians assembling, oxen were killed, and general eating and feasting went on. I attended the communal feast, 
and dishes of food were brought to me, in accordance with the Indian custom not to eat much on the spot. I had my men carry some of the food to the camp, as a welcome addition to our monotonous diet and scanty stores, and we found that, aside from the usual Indian dishes, they comprised bananas, salted fish, honey, and squashes. The authorities newly elected for the ensuing year gave a similar entertainment to their predecessors in office, at the home of the centurion, the principal official of the Easter festival. A rustic table and benches had been erected outside of the house. I was invited to sit down among the men of quality, and it was phenomenal to be present at an Indian banquet served on a table, the only occasion of the kind in my experience. As the table was small, the diners were served in turns, one set after another. Each guest had a man to await on him, but there was neither tablecloth nor knife, fork nor spoon. It was, if you like, a degenerate loafer shed, except that you were supposed to handle the solid food with pieces of tortilla that were broken off, folded over, and used as a fork, or rather, spoon, and were eaten with the meat. After the meat had all been fished out, you drank the soup from your bowl or plate. If you could not manage with the tortilla, you were excused for using your fingers. When a bowl or plate was set before an Indian guest, the latter took it up and immediately handed it to his wife, standing behind him, who emptied it into the jars she had brought for that purpose. There was meat with its broth, meat ground on the matapi, boiled, and mixed with chile, and et all to drink with it, all fresh and excellent. As I was hungry, I pitched in although at first I was the only one who ate, which was rather embarrassing, but by and by the others, too, began to eat, perhaps out of politeness, they were pleased, however, that I enjoyed their food, and I did enjoy it, after the poorly assorted diet we had been obliged to maintain. Although the variety of dishes of primitive man is exceedingly limited, such of them as they have are well prepared. The dinner was the best I ever had among Indians. The party was pleasant and animated, and the banquet hall extended to the pines and mountains around and the azure sky above. During the night there was dancing on the tarima, a broad plank resting on stumps. Dancing on the plank is said to be customary throughout the Terracaliente of the Northwest. One man and one woman dance simultaneously facing no not touching each other, the dancing consists in a rhythmical jumping up and down on the same spot, and is known to all the so-called Christian Indians wherever the violin is played, although nowhere but among the chorus have I seen it executed on the plank, it is called low danza, and is distinct from the aboriginal sacred dances, although it may have been a native dance somewhere in Mexico, low danza is merely of an elation of merriment, indulged in when the Indians are in high spirits after church feasts and may sometimes be executed even in church. Gradually the people submitted to being photographed, even the women. One evening when I changed plates under two wagon covers in an old empty house, a curious crowd gathered outside and knocked at the door, wanting to know what was going on and to see the secret rites I was performing. After a few days of deliberation the Indians consented to show me their dancing place, or, as they expressed it, their tunamodi the musical bow. Chapter XXVIII A glimpse of the Pacific from the high Sierra visionary idol the Coras do not know fear in UN Indian Indian Pueblo of Jesus Maria Anisold Cora Shaman Apadre denounces me as a Protestant missionary trouble ensuing from his mistake Scorpions. After a fortnight's stay I said goodbye to Santa Teresa, the Alcaldi, who had become quite friendly, accompanied me over the lano on which his Pueblo lies, extending, interspersed with pine forests, for about three miles west. 
He begged me not to forget the Corps when I came to the governor of the territory of Tepic, and to ask the Mexican government to let them keep their old customs, which we had heard they were going to prohibit. This fear, I think, was unfounded. He also wanted me to use my influence toward preventing the whites from settling in the vicinity, since they were eager to get at the big forests. I had found a friend in a Corps called Nuberdu, a kind heart and frank fellow, 60 years old, who became our guide. The trail leads along the western side of the Sierra Madre, sometimes only a few yards from where the mountains suddenly give way to the deep and low-lying valleys and foothills. As we approached the end of the day's journey, a perfectly open view presented itself of the Terra Caliente below. As far as the Pacific Ocean, which by mules is a week's journey distant, the wide expanse before us unfolded a panorama of hills that sank lower and lower toward the west where the salt lagoons of the coast could be clearly discerned as silver streaks in the reddish-gray mist of the evening. A Caponita was right in line with the setting Sunday here, 8.000 feet above the level of the sea. Everything was calm and mild, not a breath of air was stirring. A prunus was in flower, and oak trees were growing on the brink of the ridge toward the sea. In every other direction were to be seen the immense silent pine forests that shelter the cores, but no trace of human life. Everything seemed undisturbed, peaceful, quieting, nerve-resting. Would it not be delightful to settle down here? Life would be so easy. The Indians would help me to make a hut. I would marry one of those beautiful Cora girls, who would be sure to have a cow or two to supply me the civilized drink of milk. None of the strife and turmoil of the outer world could penetrate into my retreat. One day would pass as peacefully as its predecessor, never would she disturb the tranquility of my life for she is like the lagoon, without ever a ripple on its surface. Once in a while the spirit of the feasts might inspire her to utter an angry word, but she would not mean much by it, and would soon resume her usual placid role, moving along in the even tenor of her daily life. What a splendid chance for studying the people, for knowing them thoroughly, and for familiarizing myself with all their ancient beliefs and thoughts. Perhaps I might solve some of the mysteries that shroud the workings of the human mind but I should have to buy my fame at the price of living on tortillas and cannoli and beans. We may live without poetry, music, and art. We may live without conscience and live without heart. We may live without friends. We may live without books. But civilized man cannot live without cooks. Concluding that the eminent authority cited was right, I came back to realities and continued my journey. By and by I arrived at a fertile little slope partly covered with corn stubble. At the farther end of it was a large core ranch called Los Yeniga, and in front of it grew two or three magnificent oak trees with light green stems and equally light-colored leaves. The people here were well disposed and sold me some necessary supplies, so I stopped with them for a day. While descending to the famous Pueblo Mesa del Mayerit, one gets a magnificent view of the high mountains which form the western border of the Waikal country and stretch themselves out on the opposite side of the canon of Jesus Maria like a towering wall of a hazy blue color. The Pueblo lies on a plain less than a mile in extent in either direction, on the slope of the Sierra, with an open view only toward the east. There is an idol of the setting sun standing on the mesa above the village, looking toward Mexico, as the Indians express it. This mesa is the one called Tonati by the chroniclers while by the cores it is called Nayarity, and the whole Sierra derived its name from it. The same name is given to a cave in that locality, where the cores, as well as the Waikals, deposit ceremonial objects and other offerings. The setting sun god is worshipped equally by the two tribes. The Indians jealously guard this cave, 
which is never shown to outsiders. This is practically the terminus of the Sierra del Mayarit. The Sierra from now on is lower and gradually falls down to Rio de Alica, or Rio Grande de Santiago, where Sierra Madre del Norte ends. The people here, though friendly, were less sympathetic and much more reserved than those of Santa Teresa, and I could find no one who would divulge tribal secrets. They had received a message from their sister Pueblo telling them they had nothing to fear from me, but the cores are not easily scared. Anyhow, a stranger may enter a house without any further ceremony than the customary salutation. Oksu, one day when I approached a dwelling, a nice-looking little girl, scarcely three years of age, came running out with a big knife in her little fist, her mother following after her to catch her. The small children curiously approach you, rather than run away. My two dogs intruded into a house and met in the doorway a little girl, about four years old, who was just coming out. The family dog was inside and began at once to bark at the newcomers, ready to fight. But the little one continued her walk without in the least changing the quiet expression of her face. Although the cores here maintain their traditions and customs more completely than in other places, I did not see any of the adults wearing the national dress, buckskin trousers and a very short tunic reaching only below the breast and made of home-woven woolen material deed with native indigo blue. Only one of the boys was seen with this costume, and his father was said to have it also. Yet the cores do not want to be confounded with the neighbors. When the principal men submitted to be photographed, I wanted a picture to show their physique and therefore asked them to take off their shirts, which they refused to do. But when I remarked, you will then look like neighbors, the shirts came off like a flash. The gobernator here was an original and peculiar character. First he wanted me to camp in La Comunidad, to which I objected, but he was bent upon having me as closely under his supervision as possible, and I had to agree to establish my camp only half the distance that I had intended from the village. As soon as my tent had been put up, he came, accompanied by one of his friends, he had a passion for talking, which he indulged in for two hours, interrupting himself about every twenty seconds to spit. his companion wrapped himself in his blanket and began to nod, and whenever the gobernator stopped for expectoration, the other one would utter an ascending, hey, yes, the choral language is guttural, but quite musical, and when I heard it at a distance it reminded me in its cadence of one of the dialects of central Norway, however, the gobernator's monologue soon became very tiresome, and finally I made my bed and lay down. After a while they retired, but every evening as long as I stayed in the place, his honor came to bore me with his talk. I generally took him out to my men, who entertained him as long as they were able to keep awake. He wanted to hear about other countries, about the bears we had met, and the Great War, because he thought there must always be war somewhere, when everybody was asleep after midnight. He would retire, he was a widower, and he was the most UN Indian Indian I ever met. About five miles east of Mesa del Mayarit the descent toward the Pueblo of Jesus Maria begins. The valley appears broad and hilly, and the vegetation assumes the aspect of the hot country. Specially noticeable were the usual thickets of thorny, dry, and scraggy trees, seen even on the edge of the Mesa. They are called Gisachi and in the vernacular of the common man the word has been utilized to designate a sharper, a man who, looks on, as, for instance, a tricky lawyer, is called a gisachero, it is the counterpart of the, lawyer pump, among the shrubs of tropical Australia, Jesus Maria looks at a distance quite a town, on a little plain above the river bank, a fine, grand looking old church, 
in Moorish style, a large churchyard surrounding it, and the usual big buildings connected with the churches of Spanish times, make all extraordinary impression among the Pithia-covered hills. The rest of the houses look humble enough. I went a little beyond the Pueblo to the junction of Arroyo Frail with the River of Jesus Maria, as a violent wind, caused by the cooling off of the hot air of the Barranca, blows every afternoon. I did not put out my tent, but had my men build an open shed. The wind lasts until midnight, and the mornings are delightfully calm and cool. The cores consider this wind beneficial to the growth of the corn, and sacrifice it to mal of ashes, two feet long, to keep it in the valley. The core of the cannon, and probably of the entire Tierra Caliente, is of a milder disposition than his brother of the Sierra, but he looks after his own advantage as closely as the rest of them. The houses of the village are built of stone with thatched roofs, and, having no means of ventilation, become dreadfully overheated. I frequently noticed people lying on the floor in these hovels, suffering from colds. In the summer there is also prevalent in the valley a disease of the eyes which makes them red and swollen. Although the country is malarial, the Indians attain to a remarkable longevity, and their women are wonderfully well preserved. All Indian women age very late in life a trait many of their white sisters might be pardonably envious of. There are twenty Mexicans living here, counting the children, they are poor, and have no house or lands of their own, but live in the convento and rent lands from the Indians. The Coors, of course, are all nominally Christians, and the Padre from San Juan Payetna tends to their religious needs. I was told that as recently as forty years ago they had to be driven to church with scourges. Some families still put their dead away in caves difficult of access, closing up the entrance, without interring the bodies, and they still dance netote, although more or less secretly, the Indians catch crayfish, and other small fish, with a kind of hand net of cotton thread, which they hold wide open with their elbows while crawling in the water between the stones, where the river is deep they will even dive with the net held in this way. The day after my arrival I was requested to come to, Locom United that the people might hear my letters read, this over, I explained that I wanted them to sell me some corn and beans, a blue tunic of native make, and other objects of interest to me, that I also wanted them to furnish me to reliable men to go to the city of Tepic for mail and money, that I wished to photograph them and to be shown their burial caves, and to have a real, good old shaman visit me, and some men to interpret, the messengers were duly appointed, but it took them two days to prepare the tortillas they had to take along as provisions. My desire to see the burial caves was looked upon with ill favor. The old shaman, however, was promptly sent for. He soon arrived at the council house, and without having seen me he told the Indian authorities that it was all right to tell this man about their ancient beliefs, that the government might know everything. When he came to see me he took my hand to kiss, as if I were a padre and I had a most interesting interview with the truthful, dear old man, who told me much about the Kora myths, traditions, and history. I gathered from what he said that he could not be far from a hundred years old, and he had not a gray hair in his head. His faculties were intact, except his hearing, and while I was interviewing him he was making a fishnet. I had him with me one day and a part of the next, but by that time he was a good deal fatigued mentally, and I had to let him go. There was an Indian here, Canuto, who could read and write, and, as he took a great interest in church affairs, he acted as a kind of padre. I was told that he ascended the pulpit and delivered sermons in Cora, and that he aspired even to bless water, but this the padre had forbidden him. 
He was very suspicious and intolerant and quite an ardent Catholic. The first Indian I had met who had entirely relinquished his native belief. He actually did not like Nito dancing, and the other Indians did not take kindly to him. All the time I was here he worked against me, because the priest of San Juan Payan, as I learned, had denounced me before the people, to traders from that town, who had been visiting Santa Teresa while I was there, had reported to the Padre the presence of a mysterious gringo American, who had a fine outfit of boxes and pack mules, and who gave the chorus precious jewelry to buy their souls, and visited their dances, the Padre, without having ever seen me concluded that I was a traveling Protestant missionary, and one day after Mass he warned the people against the bad Protestant who was on his way to corrupt their hearts and to disturb this valley in which there had always been peace. Do not accept anything from him, not even his money, do not allow him to enter the church, and do not give him anything, not even a glass of water, he said, this padre, so I was told by reliable authority made the judges at San Juan and at San Lucas punish men and women for offenses that did not come under their jurisdiction. The men were put into prison, while the women had fastened to their ankles a heavy round board, which they had to drag wherever they went for a week or two. It caused them great difficulty in walking, and they could not kneel down at the matapi with it. His speeches about me made a deep impression upon the illiterate Mexicans in that remote part of the world, who in consequence of it looked upon me with suspicion and shunned me. Not knowing anything better, they invented all kinds of wild charges against me. I was surveying the lands for Porfirio Diaz, who wanted to sell the Cora country to the Americans. I appealed only to the Indians because they were more confiding and could be more easily led astray. My alleged aim being to make Freemasons out of them. A Freemason is the one thing of which these people had a superstitious dread and horror. Even my letters of recommendation were doubted and considered spurious. However, one old man, whose wife I had cured, told me that Protestants are also Christians, and in his opinion I was even better than a Protestant. Fortunately, the Indians were less impressionable, and as their brethren in the Sierra had not reported to them anything bad about me, they could see no harm in a man who did not cheat anyone and took an interest in their ancient customs and beliefs. While the Padres had always made short work of their sacred ceremonial things, breaking and burning them, when at last my messengers returned, after an absence of twelve days, I was surprised to note that they were accompanied by two gendarmes. The Commandant General of the Territory of Tepic had not only been kind enough to cash my check for about two hundred, but had deemed it wise to send me the money under the protection of an escort, a precaution which I duly appreciated, as the return of the men was the only thing I had been waiting for. I now prepared to move up the river to the nearby Pueblo of San Francisco, where the population is freer from Mexican influence. When my hut was broken up, I found among my effects ten scorpions. The cannon is noted for its multitude of scorpions, and I was told that a piece of land above San Juan Payetan had to be abandoned on account of these creatures. The scorpion's sting is the most common complaint hereabout, and children frequently die from it, though not all kinds of scorpions are dangerous. The consensus of opinion is that the small whitish-yellow variety is the one most to be dreaded. The Cura of Santa Magdalena, State of Jalisco assured me that he had known the sting of such scorpions to cause the death of full-grown people within two hours. The scorpions of Mexico seem to have an unaccountable preference for certain localities, where they may be found in great numbers. In the city of Durango the hotels advertise, as an attraction, that there are no scorpions ill them, for a number of years, 
according to the municipal records, something like 60.000 scorpions had been annually killed, the city paying one centavo for each. Some persons earn a dollar a night by this means, yet some 40 victims, mostly children, die every year there from scorpion stings. The Kura quoted above thinks that there is a zone of scorpions extending from the mining place of Brameter, near Talpa, territory of Tepic, as far north as the city of Durango, though he could not outline its lateral extent. At Santa Magdalena the scorpions are not very dangerous. Chapter XXIX A cordial reception at San Francisco Mexicans in the employ of Indians The Morning Star The great god of the core is the beginning of the world How the rain clouds were first secured The rabbit and the deer aphorisms of a Cora shaman An eventful night hunting for skulls My progress impeded by Padre's band Final start for the Waikal country A threatened desertion At the Pueblo of San Francisco Prettily situated at the bend of a river I was made very welcome The Casa Real Another name for the building generally designated as La Comunidad, had been swept and looked clean and cool, and I accepted the invitation to a lodge there, it was furnished with the unheard of luxury of a bedstead, or rather the framework of one, made of a network of strong strips of hide, as the room was dark, I moved this contrivance out on the veranda, where I also stored my baggage, while my apparatos and saddles were put into the prison next door. Two Indians were appointed to sleep nearby to guard me. When I objected to this I was informed that two fellows from Jesus Maria had been talking of killing me as the easiest way of carrying out the Padre's orders. I felt quite at home among these friendly, well-meaning people, and paid off my men, who returned to their homes. I thought that whenever I decided to start out again, I could get men here to help me to reach the country of the Waikals. A shaman who knew more than all others was deputed to give me the information I wanted about the ancient beliefs and traditions of the Kors. The people also agreed to let me see their metot, which at this time of the year is given every Wednesday for five consecutive weeks in order to bring about the rainy season. The fourth of this year's series was to be on May 20 to D. As to burial caves, they at first denied that there were any skulls in the neighborhood, but finally consented to show me some. Later on, however, an important shaman objected to this, strongly advising the people not to do so, because the dead helped to make the rain they were praying for, at least they could be induced not to interfere with the clouds, a few cores here were married to, neighbors, and some core women had taken, neighbors, for husbands, for the first time, and also the last, in all my travels, I had here the gratification of seeing impecunious Mexicans from other parts of the country at work in the fields for the cores, who paid them the customary Mexican wages of 25 centavos a day. The real owners of the land for once maintained their proper position. I saw hickory cultivated near some of the houses in San Francisco. They were in blossom, producing beautiful large, white flowers. The plant is used at the metotes, but not generally. On both sides of the steep arroyo near San Francisco were a great number of ancient walls of loose stones, one above the other, a kind of fortification. In other localities, sometimes in places where one would least expect them, I found a number of circular figures formed by upright stones firmly embedded in the ground, in the same way as those described earlier in this narrative. The Pueblo, Mirabil Dixu, had a Waikal teacher, whom the authorities considered, and justly so, to be better than the ordinary Mexican teacher. He was one of nine boys whom the Bishop of Zacatecas, in 1879, while on a missionary tour in the Waikal country, had picked out to educate for the priesthood, after an adventurous career, which drove him out of his own country, 
he managed now to maintain himself here, although his word could not be implicitly trusted, he helped me to get on with the course, and I am under some obligation to him, a prominent feature in the elaborate ceremonies of the tribe, connected with the coming of age of boys and girls, is the drinking of homemade mezcal, the lifting of the colchist, as described among the Aztecs, is also practiced, at least among the cores of the Sierra, and is always performed at full moon, the people begin to marry when they are 15 years old, and they may live to be a hundred, the arrangement of marriages by the parents of the boy without consulting him is a custom still largely followed, on five occasions, every eighth day, they go to ask for the bride they have selected, if she consents to marry the man, then all is right, one man of my acquaintance did not know his affinity when his parents informed him that they had a bride for him. Three weeks later they were married, and, as in the fairy tale, lived happily ever afterward. His parents and grandparents fasted before the wedding. In San Francisco I saw men and women who were married, or engaged to be married, bathing together in the river. Fasting is also a notable feature in the religion of the Kors, and is considered essential for producing rain and good crops. Abstinence from drinking water for two days during droughts is sometimes observed. The principal men on such occasions may undertake to do the fasting for the rest of the people. They then shut themselves up in low communion, sit down, smoke, and keep their eyes on the ground. The cores of the cannon are not always in summer in accord with Father Sunday because he is fierce, producing sickness and killing men and animals. Chulavite, the morning star, who is the protecting genius of the cores has constantly to watch the sun lest he should harm the people. In ancient times, when the sun first appeared, the morning star, who was cool and disliked heat, shot him in the middle of the breast, just as he had journeyed nearly half across the sky. The sun fell down on earth, but an old man brought him to life again, so that he could tramp back and make a fresh start. The morning star is the principal great god of the course. In the small hours of the morning they frequently go to some spring and wash themselves by his light. He is their brother, a young Indian with bow and arrow, who intercedes with the other gods to help the people in their troubles. At their dances they first call him to be present, and tell their wants to him, that he may report them to the sun and tea.